Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 101. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And Mr. Joe Rock and Roll Fox. From all the girls and the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Took a break from touring to be here second week I in know, a row. I know. <laughs> in case you didn't know, if you haven't heard before, Joe is actually in a band. Thought I'd give you a little plug again this Thank week. You. This I is you. I then. wasn't expecting that. That I is know. me. I like the surprise. I like when you go red. <laughs> <laughs> so, here it is. That's you, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because last time I played a clip of you on the show, we did get a few people asking what the band are called. Oh, really? So uh, where, where can they find you? Uh, we're called 100 Crowns, uh, and we're on YouTube, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, any of those things. And uh, we've got another single coming out in... Uh, it's Sweet Ladder. January. Another single coming out in January. <laughs> <laughs> but 100 Crowns. 100 yeah, Crowns. crowns yeah. okay. And this Thanks. is called The Highs. That is The Highs. Thank there you. There you go. So, you, Thank you, Dan. You touring? Uh, yes, we're touring in January. See, we need to get, because you know we do the retro gaming show, you're obviously yeah. going to be a play in that. We need to merge the two somehow. Yeah, that would be sick. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe get like Ravi in the background, like, you know. With bang- a tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> Banging on a Sega Master System. With, with the Donkey Conga. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, just something. The Dreamcast Conga. <laughs> something really, uh, like, I don't know, like, proper Liam Gallagher, like, we'll just have you, like, opening, like, just ejecting SNES games in the background. (laughs) 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 That could work. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get that sorted. So, yeah, 100 crowns, the highs. Thank you. I'll put that in this week's show notes. We do get some people asking you. So, so there you go. Nice to see you here. Before the big Before the big quiz next week. I know. I'm going to be on three episodes in a row. I know. It's sick of you now. I know. It's sick of me. (laughs) Next week, of course, is going to be our Christmas super quiz. We are going to take that bloody crown back oh, you, you know what me and Ravi were talking about it earlier on and I was saying how we were battering them we were like yeah we got this we've got this in the bag and then all of a sudden it was like the 70s round oh, the that's computer round we, found, yeah. we just flopped it we've got to do our 70s research now yeah, yeah. Definitely. computers wasn't it and Atari I think because yeah. last year I mean, you were actually leading the quiz yeah, yeah. absolutely well, I think we were a I don't know, I can't remember, 14 points ahead at one point. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we lost by like 10 points. We'll, we'll see what happens next week. We'll see, right, we'll yeah. see. It's not recorded yet, so who knows what will happen. I love it. Joe was telling me before that he goes, oh, I felt, I felt really bad, like, you know, we're thrashing these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so you get complacent, you see. I know. Yeah. So it's uh, next week, again, for the second year running, it's going to be the Retro Hour podcast, represented by Ravi and Joe, versus Retro Gamer magazine, represented by Paul Drury and the National Video Game Arcade with Ollie Wilmot. So uh, and Paul's very excited about coming back. And he, he actually said to me the other day, we're emailing, he said, uh, looking forward to coming back and uh, taking the crown for the second year, he you said. Know, you know, we've had other people that run retro competitions in the city trying to get in yeah. on the quiz. So, you know, this is a very popular I, quiz. I, now. I think I'm going to sit Ravi down before and say, don't just shout answers out. <laughs> Think before. Because yeah. yeah. look at that. What, what 80s popular show was the game GTA Vice City based on? Scoreface! And I was like, what? <laughs> and 
Bear in mind, my missus comes in as the uh, you know she's the official quiz master. <laughs> Brutal as well, obviously. Yeah, oh, yeah, no yeah, leeway yeah. at all. So uh, I, yeah. I, I felt like there was absolutely no favoritism there because some of you may know me and me and uh, Dan's wife. We go back now about twelve years. Not in that something. way, though. That's not in that way. Not in that way at all. We actually, but well, not that I know. And I thought she would have some sort of like favoritism towards me, but no, not not whatsoever. Quite the opposite, in fact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she hates us all equally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, sick of us. Yeah, I think she actually favoured like Paul and Ollie a bit more. Yeah, she, she didn't actually know them like she knows us. So, <laughs> so that's going to be a laugh. It's always a good one, though, isn't it? Yeah. Where when our cheesy Christmas jumpers, oh, totally. mince pies on the go. So uh, we're going to get very festive next week for our Christmas special, uh, the retro hour super quiz. You guys, come on, you got, you got to do some research this week and you know oh, definitely. Watch plenty of YouTube I, th- I think with more guests though that we've had on I might have got a bit more knowledge we'll see yeah, right. doubt I'm not, it I'm, the <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they're not about any of the guests <laughs> but speaking of the guests now you know we were talking about this last week obviously we reached um, triple digits last week we're now into the 100s and we thought this might be quite a good opportunity not that we're being lazy by churning out a clip yeah, show yeah no because I know I've been teasing for the last couple of weeks saying oh bloody clip show but this this one makes sense. Yeah. Well, we thought it'd be a good time to look back over the last 100 episodes of the Retro Hour podcast. Because we've, I mean, you know, you, you did mention this recently, that we've actually doubled our audience in the last six months. It's absolutely crazy. And that's double the amount of people. So lots of people have missed out on these fabulous 100 episodes that we've had before. So we well, want to kind of highlight that. We've had some massive names on this show. And in fact, I mean, the second half of today's show is going to kind of be a bit like, it's not so much a best of, because... They're all, they've all been amazing guests. Mm. It's more like we want to give a little round kind of look at what this show's about and a few kind of varied guests that we've had and a few nice little stories that we remembered. I mean... Our personal highlights, you know. Well, I mean, even like, you know, John Romero we had on the show. We haven't had room to put him in the clips. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. when, when you say that, it sounds a bit crazy. But, you know, I, I just wanted to get a few memorable stories that we had because 98 guests that we've had on this show, just picking like six or seven of them is... Very difficult to do. But we have got a few... Um, I think it's going to give you a nice flavour of some of the shows that you might want to go back and listen to if you miss them in the mm. past. So that's coming up. Some of our highlights of the Retro Hour from the first 100 episodes is coming up in around 25 minutes from now. now of course, we've got um, a big event coming up in the new year. Oh, God. All your bass. I'm yes. not going to play the music this week. <laughs> no, <you're right>. no. <laughs> and this is a fantastic music event happening in Nottingham. And it's not necessarily retro, but it's about video game music spanning the whole kind of period that it's existed, really. So, this is a two-day event happening in Nottingham. Um, What are the dates for it? It's the 19th and 20th of Jan. If you want to come along to this, it's kind of, there's two different things happening. So, run us through what's happening over that weekend. Well, over that weekend, they've got, first, they've got a massive performance, which is Dear Esther, which is just a beautiful game. It's it's kind of a really abstract game, but they've got a live symphony orchestra with it. So, you're going to be able to watch Mm. them at the Theatre Royal which is a prestigious venue in Nottingham, and they'll have loads of other people there. So they've got the kind of head of Sony Audio is going to be doing stuff on Friday. That's Chris Abbott as well, and he's talking about, you know, Project Hubbard. No relation. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. One T on his. (laughs) Get it right. (laughs) On Saturday, we've got the guy who made Prapper the Rapper music. Rob Hubbard himself is going to be talking about The Commodore 64 legend. Oh, David Wise as well, Donkey Kong Country. You know, uh, the guys from Goldeneye and Free Radical. Graham Norgate, yeah. Of course, we'll be on stage doing some hosting. So we're actually going to be doing the panels on the Saturday, aren't we? Yeah. So if you've seen any of the stuff we do at Play Expo, similar to that, we sit them down, 
We'll do a little Q&A like we do on the show. We'll probably record them as well if, uh, if we can figure out. We haven't got a good track record of recording live events. <laughs> you think if anyone can do it? Yeah. I think it's because we think, oh, it's going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, we're just cursed. Yeah, but we've got oh, some There's been occasions it. when they've done it and then they've left all the equipment behind and then we spend four hours searching for it. In the car park, yeah. <laughs> That's because we got the bar straight after. Very bad idea. But this is going to be, um, well, it's a first really, isn't it? And they're hoping this is going to be an annual event. Yeah, because I think this is one of the first proper explorations of video game music. Because they do lots of stuff like video game music live yeah. in all of these countries. But yeah, you hear a lot of like the composers of Final Fantasy doing like yeah. live orchestras. There's a Lara Croft like one as well. Yeah. They years ago, Tomb Raider music. Yeah, but they never kind of get all the different elements together yeah. and have a big jam. You know? Yeah. And even some of these people, I mean, like Rob Hubbard, very rarely comes out and does events these days. It's very rare that Rob comes out, actually. Yeah. And, you know, people are coming over from Japan for this. This is just going to be a collection of people that you never get together, usually. Now, if you want to book tickets for it, we'll put those in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Same place if you'd like to win a pair of weekend tickets to come along as well. Because, you know, we, we look after you. We get you into all the best events, don't we? Oh, totally. So if you'd like to win a weekend pass, you can come along with your, your friend, your brother, your sister, your missus, whoever you want, your dog, um, and come along to all your places that's happening in Nottingham. Probably not dogs. shouldn't have said that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so we turn up now. I, I thought you could come in. Shaggy can... and Scooby. Dan's <laughs> 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 faces. I thought we could come in. <laughs> dog looking else there. Yeah. Band, so. <laughs> yeah, so don't, don't really he loves dog. golden eye. <laughs> <laughs> Even... Cats are completely fine, though. Cats yeah, are welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to come along, we're in a free weekend pass. We're opening this for a couple of weeks. You've got until the 29th of December. So uh, you know, that's the day we're going to close up right in the middle of all the Christmas celebrations. So uh, log on to our website. Have a look at theretrohour.com. You'll find it on the front page there. No question. Fill in your details in the form. After it closes, we'll pick out one person at random who will win a free pair of tickets to come along on the Friday and the Saturday. And uh, obviously, if you're going to be in Nottingham, make a weekend of it as well. Oh, totally, yeah. We're going to be out partying. There's two yeah. parties going on for the whole event, so, you know, it's going to be a good one. Ravi, I'll get the Sambucas in. Yeah. Oh, well, Sambuca. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> he probably will as well. <laughs> <laughs> so check that out at theretrohour.com. Same place if you'd like to make a donation into Ravi's Sambuca fund. No, <laughs> oh, no. I'm only joking. It's not where the money goes. Uh, we do have a little tip jar on our website. Every penny that we get, every cent, every euro, every pound, every dollar, it all goes back into the running of the Retro Hour podcast. Because, you know, we did actually realise this the other week, um, coming up in January, it'll be our second birthday. A lot of stuff that we pay for for the show is on annual rates. Mm. So we've got a lot of renewals coming up next month. So this would be well-timed if you'd like to make a little donation. If, if that stuff's all out of our hair, it just makes it so easier, doesn't it, to do the podcast? <laughs> we, we love doing the show, but it's always nice if we don't have to pay to do it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if we get a bit of a helping hand with it. If you'd like to make a donation, all you have to do is nip onto our website, theretrohour.com. We've got a PayPal button there. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. Yeah, all, all the kind of cryptos, but also PayPal. You can chuck any currency in there as well. So. Yeah, and you know, it's like literally fill your email address in, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, it takes two seconds. So this week, we want to say thank you so much to Jacob Eskrum, Adrian Herridge, Matthew Cooper, and Neil Corbett, who all made donations into the running of the Retro Hour podcast. And you can do the same. Head online to theretrohour.com. There's another way to get a mention on the show as well by sending us an email Ooh. and I'll print it out and make it sound old school on paper <laughs> show at theretrohour.com this week um, hi to David Pickford he goes hey guys say hi back hi, hi, hi David <laughs> he goes just wanted to drop you a quick note to say how much I love your podcast I discovered it a few weeks ago and have been binging on the past episodes so you might not hear this for like 
two years. Uh, but hello, future David. <laughs> he goes, as a child of the 80s, with two elder brothers, we had a variety of 8-bit and 16-bit computers. Everything from the ZX81, Texas Instruments, BBC Model B, Commodore 64, Amiga 500. Listening to your podcast has brought back loads of those amazing memories. Keep up the good work, he says. Oh, thanks, David. Mark Kirby's been on as well. He goes, hey, just catching up on the older episodes and been driven around Madagascar... <laughs> looking, looking. For, uh, That's brilliant. Yeah, so he's listening to show while going around Madagascar, which is pretty cool. Uh, looking for lemurs, L E M U R S. Lemurs, yeah. Lemurs. What are lemurs? Lemurs are like little kind of you know, animals, aren't like they? A, the uh, the film Madagascar. Oh, the guy okay. is like, I like to move it, move it. That guy. Is he a lemur? <laughs> That's okay. a lemur with the long. They've got the long tails with like stripes. Well, he's looking for those. He's anyway. looking for the so, lemurs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what a lemur was. Um, he goes. I heard your news about the re-release of Surgical Strike on the 32X. Now you were on that episode, Joe. We were talking about this. Was I? Yeah, back in the summer. <laughs> okay. Well, because you actually mentioned this. So here's the answer to your question that you asked about four months ago. What did I ask? Yeah, I have no idea. But we'll find out. <laughs> so he goes. You were wondering if there was a rendering difference between the overlay graphics of the Mega Drive and 32X versions. Okay. I can assure you there wasn't, and it was all real-time graphics that were embedded in the video streamed direct from the disc. I know this because despite the filming taking place in LA, the game was actually put together in a small office in Leeds. He goes, I'm a former owner of the Code Monkeys who did all of the work, and it was actually done by my former colleague, Colin Hogg. I did the video decompression stuff, which involved reverse engineering the Cinepak codec because Sega didn't want to pay them to write a 32X version. <laughs> I assume the 32X version was not released and never realised it was until I spotted it saw the light of day in Brazil. Thank you for brightening my day, he says. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that's amazing that someone who actually helped develop it and yeah. kind of knows the guys behind it can tell the story and contact you. That's, that's pretty sick. Thank you. And good luck with the Lima hunting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally this week from Tim. He goes, hey guys, uh, just wanted to say, hope you've all... Actually, this email, uh, we haven't just got to it actually, but this comes um, came after we're at Play in Manchester. Okay. So uh, Tim actually won our competition to come along. Oh, wonderful. He won a pair of tickets. So he goes, hey there, guys. Hope you've all recovered from the weekend. I just want to say a big thank you for the tickets. We had an amazing time at Play Expo. We picked up so many games. We got a few great pickups as well. My mate played pinball for the first time ever. And I got a couple of high scores. So everyone's a winner. I did try and find you on the Sunday to say thanks, but no joy. I guess you guys were just really busy. But hopefully I'll catch you next year. We've definitely caught the bug. And look forward to this week's podcast as always. Have a great week. Oh, that's so good to hear that our competitions are working and people are actually going going out and having good fun. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when Dad was like, oh, this is the guy who won the tickets, I thought he was going to say, like, sorry, I couldn't make it. Like. <laughs> he was there. But, I mean, if you want to come along again, obviously we've got a Play Expo Blackpool coming up in February. So the event calendar doesn't quieten down ever, does it? Oh, no. no, no we've got <laughs> more to add as well. Full squad sure. as well in February. Oh, <laughs> You're yeah. going to be there on Time Crisis probably all weekend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, our buddy Alex, our mm -hmm. security, will be there. A little shout out for Alex there. <laughs> Is Alex our security this time? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know we had Richard there last time. Richard's a big guy, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. I wouldn't fancy Alex's chances, to be fair. <laughs> Not in Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> Not how drunk I, I do, he gets I, I do love Alex. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be there, obviously, full squad in, uh, in February as well. So we'll check out our event calendar. We'll keep that up to date when, when we're having remembers yep. <laughs> at theretrohour.com right then should we get some stories oh yeah some good stuff this week now story time tell us about Tower 57 Tower 57 is a really cool looking game so I've linked you here to the Tower 57 site so if you go further down you'll see some of the graphics this game has just come out on Steam mm -hmm. and it's out for PC and Mac now it's very like Chaos Engine yeah if you ever played that but oh, yeah. it, it's got a kind of retro side scrolling style but it's added all these new features sorry 
Not side scrolling. Top, top, down, top down, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but it's added all these kind of features, so it's got a lot of extra things that you wouldn't get on a retro title. Yeah. You know, that only modern systems can do. But the most interesting thing about this for me and Dan is that it's coming out on the Amiga. So it's oh, coming really? out on OS 4, which is the new Amiga operating system. Which neither of us have got. <laughs> no. Uh, it's coming out on Morphos, okay, which we which do we have. have. Yeah. And it's also, they emailed me this week and said it may be coming out for the Vampire, which is... Which we have got. Uh, an accelerator card for the original Amiga, so you may be able to play this. And judging by the gameplay trailer and stuff... It looks very it cool. Looks, it, looks it looks pretty awesome, cool. you know. Yeah. It reminds me a bit, I mean, graphically, it, probably a bit like the Super Nintendo kind of thing it's very yeah, colourful yeah it's a bit sharper though isn't it mm. like um, it reminds me it, music oh yeah and you know when a story opens <laughs> like that it's gonna end with a bang <laughs> well the, the, the graphics are so beautifully it, drawn as well you know it, it looks really nice it's kind of got that little chaos engine metal slug it's got of, a nice like yeah. tech noir kind of look to it you know yeah like steampunk yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do, yeah. I, I think I, I actually love like new games that use kind of retro style graphics. But then, like Sonic Mania was the same. It threw in a few little surprises that you think, oh, actually, yeah, Mega Drive couldn't have done that. Yeah. So yeah, that's what was cool. And so. uh, you know, it's got multiplayer element as well, kind of co-op. You well, can sit yeah. down and play together and stuff on the couch, couch yeah. gaming, punch your friend in the arm. Seven, wow. seven different characters. You know. Also, they said they've got online as well, so that might be implemented in the other stuff. That's pretty cool. That would definitely be something I'd pick up if it was on console. Well, that's the thing. I mean, indie games are regularly do come out on console these days. So yeah. I'm sure if yeah. there's enough demand, you know, it might make its way over. Yeah. So. I, I think this one was specifically done for the kind of Amiga. They just yeah. said we're going to try and hit the new market and see, but also release it on everything else because that market's so tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to sell more than 20 copies. Yeah. 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 So if you want to find out more about Tower 57, uh, check out this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. You feeling festive yet, guys? Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> Ravi's not. I, I'm just I am delaying it. Get the presents last minute. Ignore Christmas until probably Christmas Day, where I'll eat too much and then. Yeah. Well, our decorations are up now. Oh really? Yeah. Mine aren't up yet. They're up in the office here as well. Everywhere you go, you know, Christmas songs playing. Start my shopping actually for the earliest I've ever done it this year. I've got Amazon Prime. My goal is this year to do it all on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I've, everything I've bought has all been online. I went into town on the Black Friday sales with a friend. And didn't buy a thing yeah. and then afterwards went home and did it all online I was just like why did I even go to town why did I even buy I, I was walking around with a giant thing the other day in town just Stop like bragging. why didn't I buy it online <laughs> <laughs> but I mean if you do manage to get all your shopping done early this year mm. you might be relaxing and playing a few video games over Christmas that's always a dream isn't it that would be nice a bit of time off work do you remember those days where you'd, you'd open all your presents you, you wouldn't care about putting any of the rubbish away. You're not rare in your living room with your black bin bags. That's for your parents to do. They cook the dinner. You sit in the front room on your brand new PlayStation or Amiga game or whatever. Those are the days. Those were the days. What what game was it for you, Joe? Uh, I think my earliest, one of my earliest Christmases I can remember is Christmas 95. We got a PlayStation. Yeah. And uh, it could have been 96. I can't remember. So it would have been about five or six years old. And we got Soul Blade or Soul Edge, whatever, but it was Soul Blade in the UK. And I just remember us playing that all night because all my cousins were around, all my uncles and stuff, and we were all just playing it. It was one of the times that I remember like adults really sitting down and playing games with me, um, playing like console games, because before that it was like, oh, it's for kids, but then now we've got the PlayStation. Yeah, the Mega 3D. Drive before, didn't you? 
had the Mega Drive before and nobody was ever bothered about that. Just my older brother. (laughs) And now all of a sudden we had like, we had Porsche Challenge. Nobody, you know, not heard that one in a while. And uh, Hardcore 4x4. So all the classics. All the classics. (laughs) (laughs) But there is actually a list. I mean, there's been a discussion on Reddit in the um, Retro Gaming sub on there. And also quite coincidentally when I was looking, it's actually on Funstock Retro as well. They've done a list of um, the best retro games to play while you're off work over Christmas. Are going to make you feel a bit festive, maybe? I can't actually think of any festive games, though. What's on there? Well, uh, what... Christmas Lemmings. That, that used to be festive for me. <laughs> and also uh, Worms you could go on Christmas, maybe. Yes, but, yeah, you could, yeah. But worms. strangely, uh, Micro Machines V3. I remember when I got one of the early Playstations, and that was like, this is Micro Machines. Wow, but it's yeah. all upgraded. Yeah, yeah. 3D. Yeah. Um, I always remember Tomb Raider as well on Christmas Day. My brother getting that. That always reminds yeah. me of Christ- Christmas Day afternoon. You know, the snow level at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah because I was yeah, like, yeah. this is Christmasy, it's snowing. <laughs> uh, but in here, I mean, they've actually got Christmas lemmings as, you know, the, the main image at the top of this yeah. article here. So that's obviously in there. And again, I mean, Christmas lemmings, I remember last year, I wanted to play that over Christmas. I thought, I'm going to sit down and play that. I'm going to get a drink. And I had my meager on. I thought, I'm going to load the game up, loaded it up. And the missus shouts me through, like, oh, you know, do you want dinner now? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come in. We made dinner. Sat down. But then it's 10 o'clock at night. Didn't get a chance. Oh, I'll play tomorrow afternoon. Every time I sat down to play the game, something happened. Something Someone happened. called. I had to go and do something else. Never got around to playing it. So this year, I'm going to make a point of sitting down, turning everything off and just playing Christmas Lemmings. Well, you, Good, you also get all the Christmas tunes on there, all the like yeah. mod versions of those. I, th- yeah. I think one of my most embarrassing kind of gaming moments, which was on Christmas Day, was uh, the year I got Simps- Simpsons Hit and Run, which I think was Christmas 2003. Yeah. So I was a young teenager and... Uh, Taking it upstairs after opening it, like, wow, Simpsons game, and it's like GTA, but it's not GTA. <laughs> <laughs> and I loaded it up, and it was all Christmas themed, like the whole game. I was like, oh, my mind is blown, it knows it's Christmas. And then, like, as I've got older, it's just like it's the internal clock of the game. <laughs> 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 the game's gone somewhere. <laughs> it's like, what an idiot. <laughs> like... You can sense that festive air. Yeah, it's it's like, how does it know? <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> But, but other games on this list as well. Have you ever played Days Before Christmas? No, what's that? So that was on the Mega Drive and the Snares in 1994. You play a Santa whose mission it is to rescue his elves and reindeer have been captured by evil snowmen. Oh, I might have played it. And there's Christmas Nights into Dreams. Oh, yeah, 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 for Saturn. Home Alone. <laughs> Didn't play that in the Snares? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, I, I, I played have. Home Alone, Unfortunately, yeah. only on ROM. <laughs> and there's one here that everyone's always like, oh, yeah, it is actually Christmas League. Die Hard. Yeah. On the P- Die PS1. Hard tri- Die Hard Trilogy. trilogy yeah. Yeah. That was one of the... Best games, I absolutely Such love that. Such a good game. Mm. Sorry, pal. You <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do you remember Psycho Santa on the Amiga as well? That was a good game. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. saw a couple of YouTube videos yeah. on that. I never played it myself, but it does look pretty hardcore. Yeah, funny yeah. game. But yeah, I mean, there, there are certain games that I think... I, I understand why developers don't really make Christmas games, because really you've only got a sales window of about two weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> see what, there's not many of them, but, you know... And Lemmings wasn't hard. You just put hats on the Lemmings. <laughs> I made them red. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, but... But I I was actually looking the other day on um I just put it on eBay like you know Christmas lemmings and it actually came in like a nice box all you know looks like Christmas wrapping paper and all that. Oh really? Price on eBay was two hundred quid though for a box version. So I was like, yeah, I'll just stick with WHD. Like <laughs> yeah. it's fine. Now tell us about the game shell, Ravi. This looks quite interesting. Another console. Yeah, this is a Kickstarter that's just been successful. Actually, they've got kind of. 14 days left on it but um and they've already quadru- <laughs> quadrupled their target yeah absolutely smashed their target and what this is is it's the world's first modular portable games console and it's all based on linux and uh, gnu you know the yeah. operating system but you can play your classic consoles on there you know atari game boy advance nes nes and it's really cool it's kind of modular so you can 
split it into pieces and upgrade different parts that you want. So the keypad is an Arduino keypad. You could probably pop that out and add something else in later with maybe micro switches or something. There's a little speaker, there's a screen and a mainboard, and it all clips together with this um, Clockwork PI, which is a kind of quad-core operating board on there. Look, reminds me a bit of like a Game Boy Color, looking yeah, at it, doesn't it? The case. it does. It, you know what? It reminds me as a... Um the actual quality of it, like watching it, is the Neo Geo Pocket. Yeah. Um, which is a bit better than, like, you know, your kind of Game Boy Color kind of thing in between the color and the events. So only $89 as well. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it supports life and, uh, sorry, it supports Python yeah. <laughs> and C and Lua mm. and all the kind of scripting stuff that you'd have on the Raspberry Pi anyway. So you could do that, but I'm sure you could also run other stuff. They're saying, you know, they want support for DOSBox and stuff like that later in the future as well. Well, they've got Doom playing here. It looks great. Yeah. Really of course, Doom's on it. Yeah, Doom's on everything. <laughs> but, but imagine being able to play Doom in that kind of quality on a screen that size back in the day. You'd have been like, yeah. no way. Is that blow your mind. Yeah, it still does blow my mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's still cool, I think. So, but yeah, for the price they're asking, that, that's that's pretty. You know, I'm not surprised it's already reached its goal. Yeah, yeah. So it, it looks fabulous, and I think the fact that it's all modular, you can just upgrade it. I'm probably going to buy away, one of these. You know? I think, you know, because yeah, I was saying you know, the other I'm, day, I'm, I'm sitting here watching, looking at it now, and I was actually contemplating. I was like, should I email myself this link and get one of these? Like, yeah, for the sake of eighty nine dollars, like. And I was saying on the show the other week that you know. My Switch is my most played console now. Is it? Just because, you know, I've been away quite a bit, obviously, recently. But I often get time to game if I'm doing something like sitting on a train or Mm. away at my folks' house for the weekend or whatever, you know. Mm. Not something if I'm at home, I'm either working or, you know, got stuff to do around the house or whatever. So I think, you know, I'm actually quite into portable gaming at the moment. I can see myself using this. I've got a pocket chip, which is like the early version uh, of kind of one of the portable game Linux emulation things and yeah. it's got this kind of contact keyboard and it's one of the worst things ever and people have been 3d printing d-pads to stick on top of it <laughs> so this thing's ideal because yeah. it looks like it's comfortable in your hands you know and obviously if it's a uh, you know based on emulators for you guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> you've been spending a lot of time in virtual reality recently as well Ravi, haven't you i've seen oh, yeah. you set up yeah i've just got htc vive and i've always wondered like oh, can I run emulators on there? Or kind of, can I run these old school games and get into that old world? Well, I've just seen this MUVR and it looks absolutely insane. Um, the screenshots on it, uh, well, do you want to talk about it, Joe? Because it looks like something that you'd absolutely love. <laughs> put, me on the, put me on the spot here, Abby. Is, is, is this your bedroom in the 90s? Yeah, so? that's yeah, what I think. Essentially, um, everything but the bedding. We actually had Simpsons bedding, I have you know, uh, in the 90s. But this does look pretty fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm, try- I'm trying to think, you know, the realism of it, because if that bedding does look quite 1992 and those games are quite 1997, <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there, Ravi. But well, uh, if you spent all your money on games, you couldn't afford new bedsheets. You know, go. you can there we go. Years. Exactly. But this does look very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame that we're not. You know, it would be absolutely fantastic if you could pick those games up, put them in the console, and then actually sit there and play. You those can. Games. Wait, what? Yes, yes. <laughs> so what this is is this is a. a VR room that's yeah. in the 90s. Now, yeah. this piece of software will scan your hard drive, find ROM files on them, then chuck them into this VR room with the original kind of pictures on them and everything. And then you can load them into the console in the okay. VR <laughs> yeah. and then play it in your bedroom, sat like you're in the 90s. Now, they say they want to extend this because it's only got the consoles at the moment. So I think probably PlayStation and yeah. SNES, it will probably be... And 64 by the looks yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, they want to expand it to do DOS and Windows 95, so you'll wow. be able to go to VR, <laughs> log on. You paint, yeah. <laughs> your you, wife just knocks on your door yeah. and you're just like, I'm playing in my room, leave me alone. I'm surfing in Carter yeah. on Windows 95. And they say you have a choice of old school televisions that you could play Somebody asks you to look something up, you just stick your VR headset on and go, let me just go and ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome if they got like, yeah, like Yahoo Search and all yeah. that. And Ultra well, Vista. Well, they say you've got a choice of old school CRT TVs or you can have a cinema projector in your room as well. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how far the kick is. I guess is, this is for a PC, I take it. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it could be for Oculus Rift, HTC Vibe. It yeah. might come out for PlayStation. Then it's I guess like, it's PC though because of the scanning of, of the drives. Yeah. yeah, and the ROMs and stuff on it. But I wonder how far they could take it. Could they actually do like, you know, actually have a web browser on there and like, emulate the 90s internet and have a geocity so you can build your website well, and all that. Found a, sit on the Space Jam yeah. website. Yeah. I found a DirectX driver where you could put any DirectX game into VR. Yeah. And I put GTA 5 in there as in there the other day. So what I want to do is try and get an Amiga emulator and put some of those awful first-person shooters in <laughs> and then go around. And... You could be in like James Pond or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I like these kind of uses for VR. I mean, I've got a VR, you know, PSVR headset. Mm. I don't use it as much as I thought I would, to be fair. But I, I probably would mess around more with this kind of stuff. I think VR is all about the experience. And this is the experience, the nostalgia experience, you know. And if they can make that really good fun, people will start using it for that. But I think with VR, they haven't really found its niche yet. I, I think with just... VR, like, it's really, really, really fun when you're with your mate. Like, whenever me and Dan have done it, like, you know, we've played it a couple of times now without Ravi. Sorry, Ravi. We've played it a couple of times. <laughs> he's, got, he's in his own VR. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an absolute fantastic laugh, don't we? A few mm. beers and stuff and we're there pissed up or red-faced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't imagine, like, us doing that on our own do you know what I mean it just wouldn't be the same experience if like I was to sit there in my front room on it like, it's a bit solitary isn't it yeah so I don't know I find that because I mean if I'm at home on my own I tend to play it more than if Samantha's in yeah if she's like making dinner or whatever and I'm there on it I feel a bit like yeah. well I'm ignoring her now I feel a bit you know rude <laughs> well, have you seen that video which uh, went viral this week on Facebook um, and it says a uh, new bo- uh new father has his priorities right and it's like these two I think they're German or something there's like the grandmother of the baby and the mother of the baby and there's a newborn baby and they're like changing its nappy and the camera pans over to this bloke with his headset on and he's got his two PS moves and he's like reloading his gun (laughs) (laughs) and it's clearly like the first day they've brought this baby home (laughs) He's just there in his VR, loading his uh, gun. That would be you, Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> Boys and our toys, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, this look, if you want to check out this MU VR, though, I mean, that, that looks like loads of fun. So. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll probably give it a review on YouTube. So, yeah. You can forever good. live in the 90s. Yeah. So, we'll put that in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. You ready to do a bit of reminiscing next then, boys? Oh, yeah. Totally. Trip down memory lane. Ooh. Some of some our <laughs> favourite guests from the last 100 episodes of the Retro Owl podcast coming up next. And of course, we will have that next week's show, which is going to be the Christmas Super Quiz. You feeling a bit nervous, boys? No, no. Me and Ravi are going to win the title. Well, yeah. we have a plan. We have a plan. Okay. We'll get together the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to finding out what that is then. So uh, that will be coming up next week, our Christmas special. Looking forward to that. Make sure you join us, of course, available from all of your favourite podcast clients, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, pretty much everywhere, aren't we? Oh, all, all over the, the place. Let's get it from theretrohour.com. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you later. Yeah. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it's time for uh, this week's special guest, because we have more than one this week. Uh, we're going to have a little look back. Um, I know it's a bit self-indulgent, 
But we do know, you know, we, it's, I think it is quite a big achievement that we're now in triple digits, episode 101. Well, it's, it's just crazy, Dan, because there's so many guests that have been on. I actually forget a lot of stuff that people mention. They come up and they go, oh, that was a fantastic interview where this guy said that. And I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> just totally, <laughs> totally <Sure>. forgot, yeah. <laughs> well, this might refresh your memory this week, Ravi. <laughs> so what we've actually done is we've picked out a few, just little stories here and there. I wouldn't go as far to say it's really a best of because I think every guest that we've had on has been really interesting. Or should we say it's the most ones we find the most interesting or well the ones we can fit into half an hour essentially yeah yeah because i wanted to put 10 or 12 in this you know and i think you know if if you are maybe new to the show because we've had a lot of new people come through the door in the last six months or so this might be a little taster of some of the previous shows and obviously i'll put all links in the show notes as well if you want to go back and check out these full episodes now one that always sticks in my mind is I think it was one of the first interviews that Joe ever did on this podcast because you come in and just done like the, the news bit with us a couple yeah, of times yeah. before. But I remember when we got LGR on, Lazy oh. Game Reviews, Clint. Well, Joe always comes on when it's an Amiga show. Yeah. <laughs> it's a massive you know, relief. I, I'm for off, him. lads, yeah. So, but LGR, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, we'll all agree he's one of our favorite YouTubers. Uh, well, he's definitely one of my favorite YouTubers. I've not actually subscribed to many YouTubers. Um, you know, I just kind of use my recommended, but he is one. That I do follow. I follow his oddware. I love his Frith's uh, show. I don't know why, I just find it fascinating. Probably because I love going around, you know, kind of conventions and shops as yeah. well. Uh, and just, you know, all around his just general approach to his reviews and his videos, you know, as in-depth as they actually are. But it's just his laid-back chill, you know, I loved it. So I had to come on and do that one. And you were a bit starstruck. Come on, don't lie. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Clint was on um, the Retro Hour last year, and there was one bit where we were talking about, I mean, I think I'd agree with you there. My favourite videos that he does are the Oddware series. Yeah. So we did ask him a little bit about that. Um, one other set of videos that you do is Oddware, and we love that because with Amiga and Atari, we had weird trackables and all these kind of rubbish light pens and stuff <laughs> like what's your most exciting piece of hardware that you've covered for you <laughs> it depends on what you call exciting um i mean a lot of people would point directly to the sexy mouse which was uh, a mouse shaped like a woman's torso that was my first and... thought straight away i was like you're the sexy mouse <laughs> it's got to be the sex. that's that's pretty exciting for wrong reasons but uh yeah it, the the one that I, I covered around the same time i believe it was the mind drive it was a thing to let you control dos computer games with your mind, supposedly, by hooking a little electrode up to your finger or any other body part that you could fit inside there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work at all. It was complete junk because I ended up hooking a tomato to it. And the tomato did better at the games than I did. So I, I just decided that was a total nonsense, but it was considered the future. The New York Times said it was like the most promising piece of tech at the time, but nope. <laughs> it's always fun to cover. So, um, talking of big piles of junk, uh, are you excited about VR? You know, <laughs> I am. I will say that I am excited for the future of VR, and I don't think we're there yet. I think we're getting there. Um, I think that, you know, I have an HTC Vive and Oculus Rift and some weird Chinese ones. I got this some Chinese one the other day somebody sent me from... I guess Hong Kong. It's hilarious. I got to cover that thing. But um, so there's some of these that are really, really well done. And then there's a lot of them that I think they're either going to be knockoffs or the software just is is total crap. And I think that's what's making people really turned off to the idea of VR right now. Um, there's a really bad VR. And that stuff is not going to convince anyone that this is the future. There's very few things about virtual reality that make any sense to me right now. 
um, or that would make me say, oh, this is worth spending $1,000 on. There needs to be way more software and uh, implementation for this to make sense because too many people still getting sick and too many people getting bored of these little three-minute tech demos. So I, it's promising, but man... They got a ways to go. Well, we actually tried one of the, I think it was the first VR system, Virtuality it was called, yeah, um, yeah. at a trade show last year. And it was um, it was based on an Amiga 3000. You essentially wore the Amiga on your back. It was ah. so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and like it was about four frames per second. But um, I mean, do you remember Virtual Reality first time around, like back in the 90s? I do, actually. I remember trying some of them at arcades. Um, they had one there. It was basically the uh, the Forte VFX One, and it was this. I mean, it was a headset that you could play these sort of military, a couple military things in there. I, there was a version of Quake for it, made everyone sick. But um, yeah, I, I strict. I do remember playing that one. You could shoot just tanks and whatnot. It was like Battlezone in VR. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but. I was eight years old, so of course I did. Yeah, we had that one in the UK, and I remember feeling like Darth Vader, where it just kept, where you pulled it down over your head, just your thinking, whole head. Yeah, <laughs> just thinking this is amazing, and then five yeah. minutes later wanting to throw up. <laughs> it was it was about a five minute experience, so I can at least I'm, I'm very happy with the current crop being uh, you know it doesn't make me motion sick for the most part. But yeah, I know I, I remember that, and I remember a friend of mine had a Virtual Boy, and well, that was just a mess. I mean. Uh, no, so I, I'm, I, I remember that, and I'm glad that it's gone. I really am. VR needed to die in the 90s. It needed to die so it could rise again. Uh, I don't know. It's quite a, It's not quite a phoenix yet. This is more like a, I don't know, a robin with an injured wing coming back to life at the moment. But it's better than it was. There you go. He was such an interesting guest, wasn't he? Oh, he was, and, you know. Those early days of VR were pretty crazy, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I loved hearing as well. I mean, just about, you know, his life experiences. He did obviously his um, Duke Nukem impression for, for Joe as well. He, he did it for you. But, we, I mean, I love having YouTubers on the show as well. I mean, think of the YouTubers we've had on here. We've had, like, uh, obviously 8-Bit Guy recently, Nostalgia Nerd, Kim Justice, Guru Larry. Oh, yeah. We've had on as well. Some great people. I think LGR was actually one of the first YouTubers that we had on. Yeah, it was. Really interesting guest. And if you miss that episode, I mean, I think, you know, you go as far as, like, retro YouTubers. He's definitely up there isn't he? Yeah. So definitely worth a look. I'll put that in this week's show notes. If you want to check out the full chat, one of your choices, Eugene Jarvis. What a legend. Oh, yes. Eugene Jarvis. Now, he created Defender, which is just one of the most amazing arcade games and, you know, captured a whole generation. But the thing is, he's talking about Space Invaders in this clip. And everyone kind of talks a lot about Pac-Man and how Pac-Man was such a revolutionary game and changed everything. They don't mention Space Invaders so much. So I think... This is a really good, unique perspective from someone who was really in the arcade scene. A massive change in the kind of, you know, energy surrounding arcade games when Space Invaders came out. Yeah, that was uh, that was just incredible because uh, I mean, before then, most of the the video games were kind of of the Ponger variety. And, you know, Breakout was kind of an exception that was kind of a, kind of on the road to Space Invaders. It was kind of interesting. You think about Breakout and the the blocks would scroll down. And it's interesting how Space Invaders is kind of like the instead of having blocks scrolling down on you, you had, you know, little Space Invaders coming down and animating and stuff. So it's, it's, it's so interesting to see how, like, one game evolves into the next game, you know, as you go through the history of video games. But Space Invaders, I mean, the cool thing about that, it was just kind of the ultimate man versus machine, you know, single player showdown. And it was it was just a, a full like audio visual experience because 
um, a key thing of it not only had great animations and sounds and incredible challenge and and the gameplay, but it had kind of this accelerating pace. Like the the deeper you got into the game, and the more invaders you killed, the faster and the faster and more aggressive they became. And you know, just like and they had kind of this this like you know, as the invaders marching down the screen. You know, you're dead, and uh, <laughs> and your heart was doing that at the same time of playing it. Wasn't exactly, it? exactly. It would, it would, it would be like this. You'd have this kind of this sympathetic heart, cardiac arrest. You know, and I, and I, I do think there were a few players that that expired playing the game, and uh, it was you really you just got so emotional and so crazed by it, and and you know, I mean, early on when before you know people were any good, I mean, you'd, you'd be dead in you know twenty or thirty seconds, and but you just had to keep coming back, coming back. I mean, people would line. I, I remember like arcades would have five or ten of these games, you know, and people would just line up three or four deep, waiting for the the guy, the next guy to die, you know, and and have your twenty second go at it. And uh, it was just incredibly addictive. I guess in Japan it was insane. I think they had over a quarter million uh, Space Invader games operating at its peak in, in Japan and it was anyway amazing uh it was an amazing thing and it just it kind of showed where video games could go where they they could be truly you know cinematic experiences with all the emotion of you know a an action movie or you know just incredible experience because you look at those early space invaders cabinets and I mean you know they didn't have color they had the you know the different color plastic they put on the screen wouldn't they yeah well that was super clever man yeah. you know <laughs> I mean it was like it's amazing how, you know, like necessity is the mother of invention. It was like, ah, oh, you know, this black and white's really boring. Like, ah, oh, the color TVs are really expensive. Like, hey, let's just get some, uh, like, plastic wrap and, you know, color it, you know, with a felt pen. You know, have red and green, yellow, you know. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was like, you know, it, it cost, I don't know, 30 cents or something to have a color TV, essentially. Amazing hack, you know. That uh, that you know turned turned a boring black and white game into color. It was a legend. I mean, we talk about massive names that we've had on this show. It, you know, the fact that he was humble enough to talk about these other games that influenced him as well. Even though he was a guy behind Defender. Uh, yeah, and he was so excited about it as well. And yeah. you know, just he's he's right about that smart technology. I remember Space Invaders being coloring. You're like, how? Mm. Yeah, it is just plastic crap stuck on the front isn't it <laughs> but i remember in that interview as well he talks about defender which you know is obviously a classic now oh yeah um but how it was initially really quite badly received and it was almost you know a stage where maybe it wouldn't have made it to market because people found it too complicated they were too used to like pong and well, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> go in two directions and stuff so really interesting interview and uh, again i mean you talk about these absolute pioneers of the industry working for companies like you know williams and atari and those kind of brands yeah because you know we've not had that many people on from the kind of arcade era and when we do get these guests on like eugene jarvis or walter day it it's just fabulous to have because that was really the pioneering era with games and where it all all these genres came from it all began there didn't it absolutely obviously joe is our resident sega fan i am indeed. and you weren't here when we had tom kalinsky on well <clears throat> if i remember rightly i can't it was something big I, I i either either it was my honeymoon or that's not big enough i can't remember <laughs> what it was but there was something pretty big preventing me from coming and i remember you asked me you were dropping me off we'd been somewhere like and as you were dropping me off and i was getting out of the car you were like Oh, do you want to come on the show next week? We've got Tom Kalinsky on. And I was like, <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> like, just 
blew my mind. And I was like, I'm going to Florida for like three weeks. Like, no, I can't. <laughs> you were there like crying. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, I mean, obviously Tom Kalinske, CEO of Sega of America. And it looked after Europe as well. Um, he was at like the glory days. Obviously, mm. you know, there's a movie being made about his life. Seth Rogen, I think he's going Yeah, yeah, the console wars. Yeah, no. That's coming out, which is all about Kalinske... Uh, versus the Japanese Sega and their kind of rivalry with the Saturn and the 32X and how that went on. Even like the book, such a, I've been listening to the audiobook version of it actually. Really interesting the story about how he was uh, you know, on a beach when he got hired for Sega yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> on, on, on like holiday with his family. And even like going back before the days of Sega, he was a guy that kind of brought Barbie back, made it popular again yeah. in the 70s. Kind of invented He-Man. Bit of a legacy behind him. But obviously, I mean, if we're talking about maybe awkward periods in Sega's history and, like, the end of his kind of career with Sega, it was a Sega Saturn, which is, mm. I think, kind of the beginning of the end for Sega. And I thought I'd ask him, because he had the job of launching the Sega Saturn mm. in America, despite the fact that he really didn't want to. So this is what Tom Kalinske, former head of Sega, told us about the launch of the Saturn and what he really thought about that system. Again, uh, I'm not a I'm not a technical person, but I was looking for uh, bigger differences between between 16-bit and and what we had in Saturn, and I was also looking for more uh, internet connectivity and ability to do uh, multiplayer social games, and so I, I was a bit disappointed in it. And uh, by that point in time, frankly, I also I didn't want to have to introduce it. Uh, originally in the fall and then Nakayama said well you're not introducing in the fall you're introducing it at, at E3 in June and you're going to have to limit the introduction to a few retailers because we can't make enough of them to supply all retail distribution in the US oh and then, by the way we only have three games done so I, I was not uh, I was not happy about this and at that point I pretty much you know I went along with it but I started looking at other other things to do because I read that one of the launch titles was going to be a Sonic Extreme, and then there were others too. I mean, I don't remember now, but there were there were others that that fell through, and uh, you just can't or shouldn't introduce a platform when you only have three games available for it. Well, obviously, it surprised a lot of developers as well. I mean, what was kind of the feedback coming coming towards you from developers when you kind of announced it onto the market way before they expected? Well, everybody was angry. Uh, the developers were angry about it because they felt they'd you know stabbed in the back a bit because they weren't obviously weren't weren't ready, couldn't have been ready. And then on top of that, much worse of a problem for me was the retailers were really furious. I mean, the people who I had grown up in the industry with, uh, we couldn't. We couldn't supply them with hardware or software. You know, th th this was really bad in terms of relationships and feelings towards Sega and a desire by these retailers to punish Sega and get behind uh, Nintendo and Sony, uh, you know, and, and do everything they could to, to frankly hurt Sega at that time. So th these are things that I, I don't think the management team in Japan really understood well enough, uh, didn't understand the, the ramifications of the actions that they were they were taking, but clearly it, it really hurt the company. That must have been, after the success you had with the Genesis, that must have been pretty heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely was. And, and also, I really was personally friendly with a lot of these people, so I had strong personal relationships with senior management and a lot of these uh, retail establishments. So, so personally, it was pretty devastating as well. 
How soon did you know that the Saturn wasn't going to be the success that you hoped it would be? Oh, I think right from the beginning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it took us too long to figure that out. But, you know, we kept up a uh, stiff upper lip, as you would say, and uh, forged on. And then by the end of that year, I was pretty much, uh, uh, I'd made up my mind I was going to have to leave the, leave the company. Bit of a sad end to a legendary career it was, but it was interesting to get that perspective from him. Totally, and you know, this is going to be the subject of movies and all of this kind of stuff because it's such a legendary story. You know, Sega were a giant, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, what I love as well is getting guests of that calibre on this show. And, you know, we've been very fortunate because I've also done, you know, interviews for the music industry before. And let me tell you, there are some, um, how can I say it without swearing? Some difficult personalities in the world of music. <laughs> Every guest that we've had on, though, these are guys that ran like these massive global companies and they're all nice as pie. Yeah, and they've all been very open as well, which yeah. is amazing, yeah. you know. One of my favourite stories that we got from Tom Kalinske was the fact that he almost seemed a little bit shy about it. He said, you know, actually to this day, I've, I've still got a Mega Drive set up in my basement. They go down there and play Sonic 2 now and then. So <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah, that was so good. Nothing to be embarrassed well. about. Nothing yeah. to be yeah, embarrassed about What a legend. So that, if you missed that show, you need to check that one out. Tom Kalinske, what a legend. Now, speaking of consoles, Ravi, do you remember this? In the search for the definitive computer simulator game, one name is clearly emerging. Oh, yeah. Conics. Multi-system. Oh, I totally remember this, yeah. Experience. This, was this, the this British was console, wasn't it? never came out, did it? No, it never came out. and it, Hardly anyone ever mentions the Conics multi-system, and I think it looked really mad. It kind of had all different components, so you could change it into a motorbike, or you could change it into a steering wheel and everything. And we actually had Mev Dink on. Now, Mev Dink revealed to us how he kind of was working with Last Ninja and stuff, and he had a development unit of Conix. I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, we've we've heard nothing about this system before, have we, Dan? We see Mev at shows and stuff as well, and he's such a top bloke as well, isn't he? Yeah. And again, like you said, like most guests we have, very open to talk about it too. But it was nice to find out a little bit more about this uh, mythical system that never saw the light of day from there. You know Koenig's multi-system? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Koenig's, yeah. Famously no. never came out, did it? Got closer, didn't it's it? such a shame. Again, yeah. uh, really uh, sad story, to be honest. It could have been the console of Europe. We are, again, we were very much involved in it. Uh, we were one of the early uh, developers, and I was very much involved in it, and my good friend John Dean was coordinating it all. And I actually... Uh, personally coded the uh, Amethyst oh, and wow. I was like racing with the competing I should say with the Amiga version and then my version was better <laughs> you know which was quite nice I, we were very much involved with the sort of design as well like uh, we encouraged them to put more RAM in it it was 128k RAM they made it into 256k and then we asked them to put hardware mirroring and flipping and all that, you know, to, to make good use of the memory and things like that. So we were very much involved with it. And I'd almost finished the game, to be honest. And Amethyst was heavily used in almost all the uh, promotional demos. I remember seeing the videos and stuff, yeah. And then yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I was excited for it coming out, then it just never happened. Oh, God, I was so disappointed. I mean, I spent almost eight, eight months coding it and it's sad really it was a good machine but unfortunately uh, the guy who 
designed it, uh, just couldn't agree with any of the people who were interested in investing money in it, including right. Amstel and IBM. Well, if you have one of those lying about. <laughs> Funny thing is, you know, when I went back to Turkey in, at the end of 2000 to start the gaming sector there, unfortunately, I lost everything, including my original spectrum, which is really, really sad. No, not and of course, all my, you know, 64, you know, GS uh, and Conix development system. I oh, should have no. kept them all, you know, but yeah. I, I lost them all, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of the guys from the Conics went to work like on the Atari Jaguar afterwards, didn't they? That was a lot. Yeah, yeah, thing. and they also set up their own uh, development houses as well. Mm. I think one of them was called ATD. Really good people. Attention to detail or something. I loved as well in that because obviously he was behind Street Racer, which yeah. was you know a great game on the mm. SNES. And he tells a story in that interview of how you know he, he was showing this at um, CES. And like Nintendo were coming by when they were about to bring Mario Kart out, couldn't believe that he'd done that game without using the Super FX chip, and wanted to know how he'd made the game like run that cheap and how it looked so good and everything. And he so. had more support for players as well. There yeah. was like more multiplayer than Mario Kart, and they were getting a bit yeah, frustrated. How have you? Is possible? But I mean, whenever we see him at shows as well, I mean, we were walking around with him at play last year. He's like, oh, guys, come and meet Jeff Minter. Come, you know, he introduces to everyone, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely, wonderful top guy. Another top bloke that we've had on this show, and I think we'd fair to say one of our heroes, Mr. Al Lowe. Ah, yes, one of our more risque um, <laughs> guests. Behind Leisure Suit Larry. Now, obviously that was... I remember being a kid, Leisure Suit Larry, it was one of the games... Um, looking back, it was pretty tame, in hindsight. But when you're like 10 or 11, you'd have a little password at the beginning and be like, are you really over 18? It'd ask you a question. <laughs> you know that you'd only know if you're over 18. Like, who was the fourth president of the USA or something? If you're going to say, it'd be like... Dad, I've just got a question for my school homework. <laughs> it's like, why do you need to know that? <laughs> but, I mean, obviously he's famous for Leisure Suit Larry. He actually had a really interesting career, and he, he liked these kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of slightly naughty games, didn't he? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I had the cracked version, so I'd press F1, and he never kind of made much money out of these games. Out of the guides he did, though, because <laughs> it was spread across everywhere. So we got a little bit of an insight into his thinking behind the character of Leisure Suit Larry. I always remember one scene in Leisure Suit Larry when he went into the, the disco and everyone was kind of dressed in those kind of disco jumpsuits that Larry was wearing. Was it kind of an intentional thing? Because obviously by this point in the late 80s, disco was not cool anymore. Was that intentional well, to make Larry The whole like idea was that Larry was this fish out of water, mm -hmm. that he was a guy trying desperately to be cool using the uh, the techniques that uh, he heard about when he was in his 20s and now he's like his late 30s and he's totally out of it. So sure, the whole idea was to mock that culture. Uh, when You know, the game is based on an old game called Soft Porn mm -hmm. uh, that was uh, a huge hit in the early days of Sierra. Let's see, how can I say When Time Magazine ran its first column on home computers, the very first uh, issue was about soft porn. And it was, uh, the cover was featured in the magazine and, and uh, uh, it was a big deal. You know, it was a really big deal. At a time when Apple had sold 100,000 Apple IIs, Ken had sold 25,000 copies of soft porn and everybody I knew had a pirated version. So it was pretty much 100% market penetration, you know, at the time. Uh, it was a huge game. But when 
Ken got the rights to the Disney characters uh, through a deal when Texas Instruments fell out of business, uh, went under, and gave up on on uh, home computers. Um, they owned the rights to all the Walt Disney characters, to all the Mattel characters, to Barbie and uh, Sesame Street. I mean, just on and on. They, Texas Instruments bought up all the licensable characters they could find. And so Ken got a chance to grab the uh, Disney characters uh, for a song. Um, so for a few years, well, for a, for a year, I was like Walt Disney Software. I put out uh, uh, two or three games from uh, the, uh, the Disney characters. Uh, and somehow Disney didn't appreciate being in the same catalog with a game called Soft Porn Adventure. <laughs> I think it's fair to say Allah had quite a varied career then, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah, and you could see why Disney dropped him as well. <laughs> but uh, just amazing to talk to people, you know, especially that era, though, because, you know, you think late 70s, early 80s, that was such an exciting time, and, you know, it was a rise of personal computing. Yeah, and kind of visual adventure games. You know, before it was all text adventure, and now we finally got this kind of visual setting, and uh, it made it just a lot more fun for me. Well, you think of those decades, you know, the 80s to the end of the 80s, the 90s to the end of it, massive leaps in technology. I mean, you often don't realise just how far we came on. I mean, 1980, you're talking about, like, the Apple II. By the end of the decade, we have, like, Sega Mega Drives. Start of the 90s, Sega Mega Drive. By the end of it, we had Gigahertz PCs and the PS2. Yeah, yeah. A lot changed in those decades. That's why we do this show. It's so interesting, those time periods. <laughs> well, there was one man who was there to cover the entire rise, pretty much, of personal computing. And this was a guy called Stuart Schiffey. Now, he did host the longest-running computer show on television in America, The Computer Chronicles. I still watch it today, and I can get it all online, and my girlfriend absolutely hates it, because it's really <laughs> geeky. <laughs> but this was a mainstream network syndicated show around the world, actually, wasn't it? And it ran from 83 to 2002, obviously documented you know, the rise of personal computing, the rise of the internet. You had a yeah, spin-off show yeah. all about the internet as well. But there was, I mean, one story that we heard from him, because if you watch those early episodes, and I think the whole lot are on archive.org, aren't they? Yeah, and he's talking about Gary Kildor, and kind of he's such a nice guy the way that he comes across in these videos and these early episodes you know he's, he was the co-host earlier on he was and gary also ran digital research and you had the cpm operating system yep. and there's actually a very sad, sad story behind gary because he was a genius who is often known as the man that could have been bill gates had it not been for some very bad circumstances and unfortunately that led to the end of his life so obviously Stuart was very close to him mm. we thought we'd get the story Actually, the nicest guy in the computer industry I've ever met and worked with is actually Gary Kildall. I mean, mm -hmm. this guy is my hero. He's the nicest, smartest guy I've ever dealt with in my life. And very instrumental, of course, in launching this show in the first place. He, his company, Digital Research, actually gave us the first, first sort of seed grant to let us keep on looking for other money. So he gave us a small amount of money and he agreed to co-host the show. This was not easy. Gary lived in Pacific Grove, which is about 100 miles away. He was a very busy guy, you know, running digital research. He agreed to come and co-host the show. He used to either drive. He had a Lamborghini at the time. He would drive his Lamborghini up to our studio, or he was a private pilot. He would fly to an airport that was very near our studio, mm -hmm. lose his entire Saturday to help, help us. I can't say enough good things about Gary. And it was an absolute tragedy when he died at an early age. I know even watching those episodes with Gary, though, you can see, you know, you mentioned what a warm, friendly guy he was and how knowledgeable he was as well. I mean, it's fair to say, Gary, you know, he's a genius, wasn't he? Not only a genius, but I mean, you know, I knew, again, we knew a lot of these big shot guys in the Silicon Valley. 
they weren't all nice guys. In fact, generally, they weren't nice guys. They were very competitive, very driven, uh, sort of very self-centered. Gary was a good man. He really cared about what he was doing. He cared about the trouble with Gary, unfortunately, was he wasn't a good businessman. Mm -hmm. And that's how he got screwed. And, you know, CPM never became uh, PC DOS. But, uh, yeah, the, the finest, finest man in the world. He was, he was so, so good to deal with. And just a, just a good, decent, honest, really smart guy who obviously figured out some problems that nobody else could figure out, certainly when he came up, came up with CPM. Well, I know often when you read about Gary these days, he's kind of known for, you know, the, the guy that could have been Bill Gates is often the thing that you, the headline that you read about him. I mean, what, what happened, you know, obviously you were close to Gary at the time. What, what was the real story oh, behind that then? What, what exactly I'll happened there? I'll tell you the story that Gary told me. Now, I don't know if this is the truth, but it's what Gary told me when I asked him about that. And it shows you what a decent guy Gary was. So there was a, they had an appointment for the IBM visit to come to Digital Research in Pacific Grove to talk about buying the CPM system for the IBM PC. It was a Saturday they had made this appointment for. It happened that Saturday was Gary's wife's birthday. Gary had promised his wife he would take her out flying that day on his, in his private plane. And he said to IBM, I'm sorry, I have a commitment to my wife. It's my wife's birthday. We can't do it today. Maybe let's try Monday. And that was why he didn't take that meeting on that Saturday. Wow. Now, here was a guy, there was a billion dollars out there for him. He said, wait, I have an obligation to my wife. It's her birthday. I made a promise. Sorry. That says a lot about him, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it really? And, of course, the, the ending of the business deal is, is another sad story. Again, Gary is a genius as a programmer, but not as a businessman. So you probably know the story when actually IBM then eventually came and they met with Gary. They had already, unfortunately, already met with Microsoft, which Gary didn't know about. Uh, and so they made the deal with Gary. Yeah, we'll license CBM, but we're also going to license MS-DOS and we'll let the customer decide. So Gary thought, well, that's fair. He was confident that they would pick customers would pick CPM over MS-DOS. What they didn't tell Gary was the pricing structure that they were going to basically give away MS-DOS, but charge whatever, 100 bucks or something for CPM. So guess who won? You know, thing that didn't cost as much money. So again, that was just a very bad business decision that Gary, actually Gary and his wife, she really ran the business, uh, made at the time. They Again, they weren't smart business people. They didn't have lawyers all around them. They were real geeks, mm -hmm. and geeks don't always make good businessmen. Did that affect Gary much then in the, the years after? Oh, my God. That's why he's dead. Gary, it drove him crazy. Um, he had this re really great resentment for Microsoft and Bill Gates. Uh, it changed his life. You know, eventually he, you know, got into alcohol. He started gaining weight. He wasn't healthy. He was a very, very frustrated man. He didn't show it. Uh, but, you know, even when we were doing the show for all these years with Gary, uh, but what if I was going to bring on somebody from IBM or a competitor from Microsoft? You can just see his sort of shackles would go up. And he said, well, if you're going to show that, you got to show my version of that. You know, so, for instance, when, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, the GUI became a standard sort of Windows interface, you know, he had to show us the digital research version of that. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he always had something better. So it was, it, it was a delicate thing to handle, Gary, when we were dealing with competitors uh, for, for um, digital research. Uh, but he handled it well. He was a gentleman all the time. No complaints. He was a good man. Now let's talk about um, a maybe more controversial subject that we covered early days on this show, actually, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and I think this is still one of our most popular episodes, and it's what I've always wanted to kind of have on this show, which is like the backstage of gaming, the the hidden knowledge. And this is from Galahad from Fairlight, which is one of the biggest cracking piracy groups still in the world, actually. <laughs> now, weren't they on the FBI's most wanted list or something for a um, while? <laughs> they currently still are, actually, okay. but not his division. He's retired, and so he can talk about it. He's immune from prosecution and everything, and we think this is amazing because, you know, mainstream press aren't going to cover this. No. The dark side of computing. Yeah, definitely. But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to cling on to the notion that, yeah, do you know what? I did all this because I'm Robin Hood, but a little bit fatter and a little bit taller. It's it's the actual thrill of the whole thing. It's the getting the phone call at nine o'clock in the morning from the original supplier. This game's going to be released today and this game's going to be released today. Are you able to do them? And then you say yes. And then you ring up work and give them some bullshit excuse as to why it is you won't be going into work today. You can't explain it's because you're going to be cracking Empire Soccer because uh, that, that's not going to work. So, um, oh dear, I'm ill again. And then you're waiting for the the phone call from the original supplier to say that he's got it. And then you then try and identify what protection's on the disc. And then you're telling the original supplier how to get it to you. And whilst you're doing this... There's somebody in another group that's probably in the exact same situation, and it's a, it's a race against time, and it's and it's not just about the cracking. I mean, some of these games, the protection on them was an absolute joke. You literally were done in a couple of minutes. But it's the it's the thrill of the entire process. It's the race. It's packaging the game. It's getting the cracker on there. It's getting it back to the original supplier, who then contacts the. Um, the traders to get them all onto the world headquarters and it's letting the um the sysop of the world headquarters know that we've got a release so we goes and kicks off everybody that isn't a fairlight member so all the fairlight members can be sat there waiting for the release to come and then it's uploading it to that board and then it's then hitting all the world headquarters of all the rivals and all the headquarters of of your own boards and that in the hope that you can beat everybody on the release. Were you um, scared doing it at all um, because of the authorities around at the time and, you know? Uh, the only time I got a little bit concerned about it is um, we use calling cards, AT&T calling cards. Um, I didn't ask where they came from. I didn't ask who they originally belonged to, but obviously we, we were blue boxing and using AT&T calling cards to call America. And potentially if I'd have been caught using them, then I could have been prosecuted for fraud, which would have been, you know, quite serious. I mean, my, my father didn't really have a great deal of um, interest in what I was doing, as long as I didn't caught, didn't get caught, and it meant that he didn't have to pay for the game, so he was all for it. Um, but I don't think even my father realised just how how much I was doing and what I was doing, and um, I didn't feel any desire to inform him because I'd imagine my... Uh, my uh, stay on the, the Amiga scene would have been very short-lived. So, um, yeah, I mean, from the calling card ass, I'm always never worried about the blue boxing because British Telecom really didn't give us stuff because it wasn't costing them any money. Um, but the AT&T calling cards, a few guys got busted for that big time and a couple of them had done, done jail time for it as well. So, you know, it, it, it was a concern, but when you kind of, when you get into this kind of thing, and, you know, there's a release to spread, you'll take all sorts of stupid chances because it's all part of the thrill, I suppose. 
we weren't alone that most of our friends at school had big boxes of copied discs and tapes and that's just how it was back in the 80s and 90s. Totally, and all these names on the crack show, like Galahad and all these guys, I used to see them at the beginning and think, oh, who's this cool guy? And, <laughs> and now he talks to us and he's, he's very open, isn't he? <laughs> Amazing to hear those stories as well. And what I loved about it is... What's just insane is the fact they, you know, probably ripped off millions of pounds worth of yeah. like titles. But one of his friends actually got busted for postage fraud, didn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. He rubbed out the, um, he put like a special glue over a stamp, yeah. rubbed stick, it off with his yeah. finger, yeah. So they could really? reuse like a 25 piece stamp, and that's what his friend got done for, yeah. <laughs> so it's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So I think you'll agree, you know, over 100 episodes, we've had some amazing guests. Absolutely amazing. One of the most infamous stories in video game history, though, is the burial of Atari's ET cartridges. Seen the documentary about that, Atari? Game, Game over. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to get the full story, though, so we had Howard Scott Warshaw on. Fascinating guy, and it's not really very often that you get to speak to someone who was blamed for essentially the death of the video game industry. <laughs> this is one guy, very mind he had a job to do. He got given five weeks yeah. to make a game for the Christmas market. And he did GR's Revenge as well. He, he had a good background in games. You know? But he had five weeks put together this for the Christmas market. Wasn't quite ready to put the game out. And then the massive video game crash of North America that this guy pretty much single-handedly got blamed for. Yeah. Very harsh. Poor guy. And then... Obviously, that was like an urban legend for years that these carts got buried in the desert. We asked Howard if he had any prior knowledge of this and if he actually knew those ET cartridges were there all along. Are you aware of any um, kind of rumours about Atari burying products in the desert or anything like that at the time? I had never heard anything about that. When that started to show up, I totally doubted it. I never believed it. I never believed that because it didn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense for a company that's in dire financial straits to spend extra money to try and get rid of product that is inherently worthless, right? That just seems like an absurdly stupid thing to do. Why would you bother with that? Why not cannibalize the inventory, re, you know, recover what materials you can and make whatever else you're gonna make, but the idea of actually spending money to keep worthless product from getting for penetrating the market, that's there's something flawed about that. So it never made any sense. But, you know, here's the thing. When you start expecting things to make sense, you're really losing touch with Atari. Because <laughs> Atari didn't make sense. Nothing was sensible at Atari. And that was one of the things that made Atari so beautiful and so amazing, right? Because it didn't make sense. It didn't have to make sense. You didn't want it to make sense. You wanted it to be this outrageous, crazy Roman excess of an orgy of development. And that's what it was. And when it stopped being that, everything fell apart. Well, those landfill rumours, it, like, it was like an urban legend for about 30 years, really, wasn't it? And then, obviously, uh, Microsoft and Major Nelson did that you know, dig where they actually uncovered the cartridges. It must have been a bit surreal seeing people right. like lining up to, you know, treating the your, your buried games as like treasure, pretty much. It was unbelievable. I thought the movie Atari Game Over really did a great job of delivering that experience. I mean, for me personally, like I'd never believed it. Hmm. I had never believed that that stuff was going to be in the desert. And then there came a day where I, I mean, picture standing in the middle of a desert in a in a sandstorm literally seeing my past being dug up. Okay? That, was, that was surreal. 
in a, in a tremendous way. And uh, it was strange. Just arriving that day, when we were arriving at the, because uh, it was basically a junkyard, right? It was a city dump. And when I got there, it turned out there was just people waiting. You know, what's the last time you saw literally hundreds of people standing in line waiting to get into a dump? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> I certainly hadn't. And I, that just told me that something was up today. This is an interesting thing. And as the day wore on and the sandstorm got very intense and people were braving, braving, you know, the elements and really fighting against all this, it was really kind of a brutal experience. But on some level, you know, there was, there was, but there was a tremendous excitement. There was an energy in the crowd that was really palpable. And I was really, I was, I was never so anxious to be wrong in my life because I knew that this whole thing works better if they find something than if they don't find anything but I really didn't think it was going to be there. And then when it came up and you saw the stuff, it was very emotionally overwhelming for me because they, uh, I was suddenly struck with a realization. Those are five very, very tough weeks that I really poured myself into. And this was something that I had done over 30 years ago. And when I saw all these people so excited, this giant crowd all pushing up and around to see what's going on, and experience this thing, and I realized this thing I did with 8K of code 30 years ago is still generating excitement and focus and anticipation and fun. And that was the whole point, right? The whole point of doing the games is to create a fun experience for people. That's what I thought. And I realized this thing that I did, it's still working. It may not have been in the way anybody intended, you know, from from back then, but it was still creating uh, real excitement and joy for people all these years later. And I think that is an amazing moment to end on, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's like total validation, having all these people kind of turn up after you've been blamed for destroying the whole video game crash, and they're there wanting you and kind of, yeah, Howard's here. It sounds great. Yeah, actually, you know, even like, like he said, he brought people joy and excitement, not in a way intended to do by making that game, but... Who'd have thought 30 years down the line, people will be essentially digging up his past totally, and making yeah. a film about it. And if so. you've seen that movie, then listen to our interview because it's got a lot more information in there that wasn't in the film. Well, you know, we have a 100 episodes that you can go back now and listen to. And if you've enjoyed any of today's clips, I'll obviously put all the links to the full episodes in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Definitely go back and have a listen. And uh, it's another Arsenal people working through the back catalogue as well. But we've got another 100 episodes that we can, uh, you know, fill up with another amazing guests and more exciting stuff to come in 2018 on this show too. Bring them on. And next week, though, you boys need to do a bit of revision, don't you? The Retro Hour Christmas Super Quiz. (laughs) Ooh, we'll see how we'll get on. I'll I'll let you do some boning up. We're going to be the night before. I'm going to be putting that Ravi for his paces so he doesn't uh, shout any daft answers. (laughs) And cheesy Christmas jumpers are compulsory. As always. (laughs) So we'll see you next week. See you later.